Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Bison Boys podcast. Ooh. We got a full house today. Really excited. I'm your host, Jack Clifford, along with my three wonderful co-hosts, Spencer Austin and Jack. How are we feeling today, boys? It's been a busy spring. Yes, Very busy Spencer's spring. been busy with all track. Winter and spring. And we found, a, we found a little hidey hole, and Spencer could come along and join us today on this podcast. Austin and Jack, how are we feeling? We're, we're doing... Uh, Half the, half the campus is coming off of some weird sickness that has been going around, and right. I am one of them that's coming off of that sickness. I'm glad to have my voice back. And there we go. <laughs> Need some sleep, man. No, we've been, we've been grinding this spring ball. I've got more than five hours this since, since Saturday God. night. <laughs> yeah, to mention, um, spring, spring sports started up, uh, what was it, a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Baseball started up, softball, spring sports of fall started up. Uh, spring football's been going, going all right. It's tough waking up at six in the morning, but you gotta do what you gotta do. Some yes, oh. yes indeed. All right, Austin, take us away with our first topic of today. Our first topic of today, yesterday, was Major League Baseball opening day, the day that we all have been waiting for. Better than Christmas, honestly. (laughs) And to kick things off, we're starting off with our favorite game for four of us here at the table. Yeah. one of us in particular oh, liked it more. Good, I had a pretty good time paying attention to it, watching your opening day starter get shelled, but go ahead. Uh, the <laughs> Boston Red Sox opened up their 2023 season hosting the Baltimore Orioles at Fenway Park. And to say the least, I think it went as expected, expected. for all of us Red Sox fans as the Baltimore Orioles uh, beat the Boston Red Sox by a score of ten to nine <laughs> in nine innings. We were, up, we were up, and then whoever those Rutschman guys just decided to show up. I mean, your bats kind of woke up a little bit later in that game, which was good to see. Yeah, Devers in the two hole is very interesting. It kind of says a lot about the back half of that lineup because he's definitely a guy that should be three or four, but you just don't have anyone that can get on base right now with all the injuries you've had. So. Yeah, I don't know who this Adley Rutschman guy is, but uh, only one of the best catching prospects we have seen in a long time. Really long time. (laughs) Rutschman went five for five at the plate with four RBIs and a run for himself along with walking. Wow, what a game for Adley Rutschman in the first game of the 2023 season. If there were any doubts about him a sophomore slump anything, I think it took him just nine innings to put those away. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, Corey Kluber's not what he used to be, so it's not like he went against an elite starter yet. But, I mean, he's been extremely consistent. Out of any of the rookies last year who he was, I believe, wasn't eligible for the Rookie of the Year race, was he? Uh, I, I don't think he was. Yeah. I don't think he had enough at bats. Or he no, might have he had. Ju- he I might. I, he might have. Yeah. So I think he because. just barely got beat out by J Rod because J Rod had an entire season of work. But, I mean, any doubts on him are kind of silenced by now. It's been he had an amazing second half last year after he got brought up, and then he's starting this off hot. He had a great spring training, and he's all of a sudden become the cornerstone of an Orioles franchise that seems to be on the rise, which I think is just good for baseball in general. Yeah, on paper. 
on paper, you just look at the Orioles and, you know, it's expected not do well, not having these superstars, but they matched yesterday. I mean, say whatever you want about who the Sox brought in, but mm-hmm. you got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, they had a bunch of guys mashing, and that's who they, that's who they were last year, too. You know, their rotation wasn't the greatest last year, and they're going to win games beating, just like they did yesterday, beating the Sox 10-9, to 9. and it, it's it's going to be cool seeing the Orioles. I uh, presumably do well, but the Orioles are the best team in record as of late on opening day. I believe they're 18 and seven now. I think I saw they were 17 and seven yesterday in the past 24. Mm-hmm. So now that means they're 18 and seven in the last 25 on opening day. So don't want to buy into the hype a lot, but they uh, they have a good good team, good young players too. So Bar- they, they, barring injuries, they, they could be in the rise, but barring injuries, they seem like they're going to be a, a definitely high, like upper middle of the pack team. They're they're going to get a decent amount of wins this year i think they might be able to get that last wild card spot yeah i was gonna say i think they'll definitely replicate their success from last year but they're like you said their rotation is just not up to par their opening day starter was kyle gibson who he was a solid rotation he's solid like third second or third guy in the rotation when he was in texas i know he had to bump up to the one or two spot most of the times because of their injuries and their inefficiencies as well but they have a couple guys in the works in the minors that have kind of underperformed in their AAA. And D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, Grayson Rodriguez, who was supposed to be one of their guys up there with Grayson Rodriguez, uh, with uh, with uh, Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman, but he's kind of underperformed at his level recently. But I think he still definitely has a shot to break the rotation by this year. But. The pitching is going to be what holds them back. You look at their lineup and you don't see too many holes right now without injury. And that rotation, I think, is just going to be what holds the Orioles back. If they can figure that out, I think they're a sneaky, dangerous team. Overall, I think I think the AL wildcard spots are going to be dogfights the entire year. There's, I would say probably nine teams that could get in the playoffs this year. And I think I believe there's only six now. I believe there's six in each league, six I or think seven. It's seven. Six or seven. I I think two thirds of the AL can make the playoffs, and you know, and realistically, Tigers, the Tigers, Royals, um, A's. I would say definitely the three you can eliminate from getting in there. Maybe I mean I don't want to say that, but the Red Sox roster, like pitching wise, I really think that that can't get them in the wild card. So that's that right there. That's eleven teams, eleven to twelve teams. I think could could legitimately get a playoff spot. It's, I think the AL is going to be fun to watch this year. Going across the diamond to the Red Sox clubhouse, as for the hot topic is pitching for the Boston Red Sox. Corey Kluber was the opening day starter for Boston. He went three and a third innings, allowing six hits, five earned runs, while striking out four and walking four and giving up two home runs. But as for the rest of the team, the two main suspects that we'd think would be uh, the downside of the Red Sox bullpen, Ryan Brazier and Caleb Ort. Brazier allowing three earned runs and Ort allowing two earned runs. Other than that, the Red Sox bullpen was shut out, sh- uh, shut down the Orioles offense with Zach Kelly, Josh Winkowski, and newly acquired reliever Chris Martin through two and two-thirds innings between those three guys. Um, how are you feeling about the pitching staff going forward after game one? Uh, it's Obviously, it's not a good start. Ten runs is really ugly, especially if you, don't win, if you score nine, you expect to win. 
you know, you can't give up, you can't give it that many runs. I mean, I'm looking down the line, really. Hope, hopefully, Brian Bayo gets healthy, gets a couple of rehabs in in Worcester, and he's up by May-ish. I we I think right now I'm kind of banking on him to become a stud by the end of the year. You know, not not like Cy Young worthy or anything, but you know, a good front line, you know, front end of the rotation guy. I mean, him and Sale are going to be the guys. I don't know what they're going to do with Whitlock. I'm not sure if he'll start or not when he comes back. I don't want to overreact, but I don't. I never liked the Corey Kluber sign to begin with. I I just think he was there just to fill the rotation, really. Similar to Rich Hill at last offseason. Exactly right. So. You know, there's, they're old. They're all old. They're you know they're veteran guys, which is good, I guess, for your clubhouse having experience in there. But I don't think, I think sometimes you're gonna have to, you know, look at getting better talent rather. And I, obviously, we've expressed frustrations with Heim Bloom and Henry not, not spending the money, considering the market that Boston is. But I think that pitching wise is gonna be the reason we're not gonna win games. I'm, I'm not. I'm not worried about the lineup at all. The pitching's going to hold us, hold the Red Sox back from going anywhere. Speaking of the Red Sox lineup, uh, Masataka Yoshida, the newly acquired Japanese left fielder for the Boston Red Sox, who in the World Baseball Classic put the world on notice with an amazing performance in the entirety of the World Baseball Classic, which led to Japan's victory over the U.S. Yoshida had two hits in his Red Sox debut. Uh, but out of all the Red Sox players, their top player from the day would most likely go to Alex Redugo, who had who uh, drove in two runs and had two hits on the day, uh, a couple of those being key runs throughout the game. Had a triple as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Uh, just with the Red Sox lineup, there's, of course... A couple holes. I think outfield-wise, the Red Sox are solid with Yoshida. Um, Yoshida in center, Duvall, and then right field is Alex Verdugo, and then you have Tapia coming off the bench, and Kiki when you figure out that shortstop situation when Story comes back later on in the year. If you move Arroyo over to short or move Story over to short, Across the infield, you got Casas at first base. As of right now, Casas at first base, Arroyo at second, Kiki at short, Devers at third, uh, and then your catcher, your number one catcher at least right now is Reese McGuire with Justin Turner as your DH. That's a it's an okay lineup for the Red Sox, to say the least. Um, they have definitely a lot of improvements to come on, hopefully – Come July, when Story comes back, the Red Sox are still in contention for the playoffs. So when Story does come back, he can make a meaningful impact to the team. But the offense was definitely not the downside to yesterday's loss to the Orioles. Uh, There's spots to work on for the Red Sox, but if their offense can keep producing nine runs a game, you're going to win nine out of ten games. So it just comes down to pitching at the end of the day. You got to look at both of these teams, though. Yes, they put up high, the highest run outputs of the day and opening day. But uh, besides the Rangers, I see right now, and the uh, Blue Jays also had ten. But I think this was tied for the highest scoring game of the day. And I mean, 
how much of that can you put on a good lineup and how much of that can you put on a very below average pitching staff for both teams. It's great to see an upside of it, but I mean, not to burst any bubbles, but the Orioles pitching staff isn't amazing as neither is the Red Sox. So will we see the production hold up from the Orioles and will we see the production hold up from the Red Sox on the lineup side of it when they face more elite pitching, especially being in the AL East? There's going to be a decent amount of that. Yeah, I think it's a lot of moving parts for the Red Sox, but I think it's just going to have to be a waiting game and see how things turn out. I mean, it's day one, so no, I know. plenty of time to improve. The Red Sox have surprised everyone on the planet before with mm-hmm. te- with a roster that didn't seem like it was up to par, so yeah. we'll see. And, I mean, the Orioles are up and, uh, on the rise young team, but I think we're going on to the – what do we have here? Probable pitchers. Yeah, the Red Sox take on the Orioles again for their second game of the 2023 season tomorrow at 4.10 p.m. That game could be moved due to weather circumstances, but that game will be the debut of Chris Sale this season for the Red Sox against right-handed pitcher Dean Kramer. Kramer. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, And then on Sunday, you'll... We'll see Tanner Houck take on Cole Irvin against the Orioles and going off of the Red Sox probable pitchers for for what they have for the remainder of the week. Cutter Crawford gets the nod on Monday against uh, in their first game against the Pittsburgh Pirates as Pavetta takes Tuesday at 7-10 against the Pirates. Houck's another guy. I mean, the spring training stats were atrocious. I believe he had... 22, 21 earned runs in just about 20 innings, which has always been a, an issue with Hauk, his control. You know, I, I don't I don't know what they're going to do with him either. Maybe he could become a pen guy in like that long reliever role or maybe like a setup role for Kenley or something, but I don't know. I would I want Hauk to turn out to become a frontline guy for us in the rotation, but I don't think it's going to end up happening if he can't get his control underway, but... I'm excited to see Sale back in the mound tomorrow. I mean, he looked pretty solid in the spring training action he had. Uh, I know I watched every inning that he pitched just just to see how he was doing. You know, we poured a lot of money into him, traded him, and got him. So I I hope he stays healthy and has a good year because he hasn't had a full year in about four seasons now. Which I think is, 2018 was the last full uh, year for him. So. so, yeah, it's just about, about four seasons. So hopefully, hopefully he stays healthy. That's what we want. Obviously, but you know, I'm just excited. I'm just happy for him. You know, he's finally back. You know, healthy for opening day. Going three and a half hours south to Yankee Stadium as the Yankees took on the Giants for opening day, with the Yankees pulling away a five nothing victory against the San Francisco Giants. Aaron Judge hits the first home run of the twenty third. Oh man, twenty twenty three MLB season <laughs> uh, for the Yankees and for all of Major League Baseball. Garrett Cole six innings, lights out against the Giants, striking out eleven Giants players while opening only day, walking two. Opening day strikeout record for the Yankees. It was an amazing outing by him, and something that we like to see, but. Again, he does this often. Gets very as a Yankees fan, I, I'll be the first to say Garrett Cole does often have strings dominant outings together, and then struggles for a little bit at a time. Sometimes even a month at a time. And from this game, you look at it five nothing, and you want to be really excited. But as a Yankees fan, 
there's been a lot of disappointment over the last few years, and we've been, I mean, last season was supposed to be our shot. That was We were supposed to win 105 games and go to the World Series, and we ended up at 99 wins at the end of the season, getting knocked out in the divisional by the Astros, but you can boo all you want. I'm not even trying to gas them. <laughs> I'm being a critic here, but I mean, the lineup is the best it's looked in a long time, but... Is it going to stick together? I mean, is Rizzo going to be consistent? Is Donaldson going to be consistent? I think we all, I mean, I don't think he's a daily starter type of guy personally, unless we're facing lefties. I think when we face a lefty, he has to, he has to be in the lineup, just the way he has hit in the last couple of years. But against righties, he's really struggled. Stanton needs to stay hot and not get injured. He's had a lot of injury troubles in the last couple of years, and you don't like to see it. Is Judge going to be able to play another 150 games this year? Or his injury problem is going to resurface? And, again, it's a very streaky team. I think any Yankees fan knows this. And, like you said, first couple months of the season last year, when we were hot, we were hot. And we were the best team in the league. But it didn't was not consistent. It didn't save for the whole season. So, you see 5 nothing, but look at the other side of it. And uh, Logan Webb had 12 strikeouts against us. And yeah, majority of the strike, majority of his strikes are called. But I think we had seventeen whiffs, which that's a lot for six innings of a baseball game. Is that what this Yankee team is going to be? Is it going to be we get a couple home runs and just whiff on everything else, or is it going to be a team that can actually play small ball now with guys like Volpe and Cabrera in the lineup? And that's kind of where I'm paying attention to, looking forward as a Yankees fan. Staying with the AL East teams, we now travel to St. Louis to a, another thriller, a 10-9 victory for the Blue Jays over the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Alex Manoa started the game for the Blue Jays, only going three and a third while allowing nine hits and five earned runs against the Cardinals. Uh, on the flip side for St. Louis, Miles Michaelis started the game and went the same distance, allowing 10 hits. What an offensive performance in St. Louis by both teams. Um, going down the list, Brendan Donovan looks like he... Brendan Donovan and Wilson Contreras led the way for the Cardinals. Both... Uh, Brendan Donovan having three hits and Wilson Contreras having two for the Blue Jays, it was led the George Springer led the way with five hits and six at bats, driving in four runs, uh, while Vladimir Guerrero had three RBIs on the day for the Toronto Blue Jays in their victory. Uh, well, I mean, two teams. You look at that. You look at the pitching. You say they only went three and a half innings, but look at these lineups that they have to go against. In this game, the Cardinals have uh, always have a solid lineup, but I mean, the top of that lineup with. Brendan Donovan, if he if he keeps his form from he's a 281 hitter last year. If he keeps his form, I think he'll be very good. Lars Newtbard coming off of a great performance in the World Baseball Classic, that's only gonna cut, that's only gonna boost him going into the season. And then you have Cole Schmidt, Arenado, and Wilson Contreras as your next three. That's a very solid lineup through that point. And back to the Blue Jays, one of the best hitters for average in the league in Bobachet and George Springer back healthy. The top of the lineup's good, as well as Dalton Varsho starting in left field after a trade with the Diamondbacks. Gives them a little bit of extra kick. Brandon Belt was a good signing as well. So the Blue Jays have a pretty a pretty interesting lineup, and same thing for them. I think it depends on if they get hot and stay hot. 
Going down to the sunny state of Florida as the Rays beat the Detroit Tigers by a score of four to nothing. Rays ace Shane McClanahan started the game for them, pitching uh, for six innings, allowing four hits, striking out six Tigers. Uh, for the for the Rays, it looks like Wander Franco led the way with two hits. Uh, bringing in one run and having one RBI on the day for the Rays. On in the other clubhouse, Eduardo Rodriguez, familiar face for all of us Boston fans up here, went five and a third, allowing three hits, three earned runs, striking out five Rays, and walking two while giving up a home run in Tampa. The Atlanta Braves beat the Washington Nationals 7-2 in their opening day game in Washington, D.C. Ronald Acuna Jr. had the first hit and first stolen base for the MLB this season. Max Fried started the game for the Atlanta Braves going three and a third, allowing four hits, one earned run, while striking out two Nationals on the day. Tough day for him. He went out with an injury, uh, taking a uh, on a put out to first base, running over, tagging the bag. It seemed like it could be ankle, knee, anything like that, but he took himself out of the game after that. And, I mean, hopefully it's not a long-term thing that bothers him through the season because he's obviously their ace. Spencer Strider can step up, but still Max Fried is just their guy. And he's going to be the guy that carries them to the playoffs and throughout the playoffs. But, man, this Braves team, when it's healthy, it looks so good on paper. And I want to say that they are definitely up there in the conversation for NL favorites right now. Just going into the season thinking who's going to win. You have the Padres with their little bit of a boost in the lineup signing Bogarts. But then you have the Braves who did it without Acuna, people forget who did that without Acuna, and last year did not have Ozzy Albies or Acuna for, Acuna for half of the season. They sign Sean Murphy. Travis Darno now gets to DH, so they have a better defensive catcher, another a little bit more hitting in their DH spot with Darno moving over there. And Sean Murphy's also a very capable hitter, so this team looks really good. They sent Vaughn Grissom back down in the works, which was an interesting move. But he also requested a trade because of that, and I think it was just because they want experience right now and they want Vaughn Grissom to get a little bit more time in the minors, so hopefully they can work things out because he's a very exciting player to watch. And I think if he is on in his stride and they put him in this lineup, they're a very dangerous team. Orlando Arcia had shortstop right now. I mean, Vaughn Grissom on a good day is a much better player than Orlando Arcia, I think, in my opinion. But this is another one of those teams where you're looking at it and you're like, they're, they got to be favorites. The Braves uh, had a few injuries over spring training to their rotation, which led them to call up their top two pr- pitching prospects to join the rotation. Uh, one of those pitching prospects, New Bedford, Massachusetts native Jared Shuster, will be pitching on Sunday against one of the top pitching prospects in the Nationals organization, Mackenzie Gore. And their other top pitching prospect, Dylan Dodd, the lefty, will be going up against Steven Matz on Tuesday as the Braves take on the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, looking at looking at guys like that, you just hope they don't bring them up too early under Cook that could kind of put a wrench in the start of their season. But if they're ready to go, I think Braves team starts out hot, 
it's a great momentum win for them that yesterday against obviously they're expected to beat a team like the Nationals, but putting up seven to two, very solid game. It's gonna give them some energy going into the next week. Going on to former Braves shortstop Dansby Swanson's new team, the Chicago Cubs surprisingly beat the Chicago Brewers, who started... Milwaukee. One, uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Chicago man. Brewers. The Chicago Brewers. <laughs> okay. ah, we're, it's it's been day. a long day already. Yep, yep. Who started their ace, Corbin Burns, who allowed four earned runs while striking out three Cubs. While on the flip side, Marcus Stroman started out for the Cubs, allowing three hits and striking out eight Brewers in his season debut. Uh, Speaking of Dansby Swanson, he went three for four, driving in one run and scoring one run himself, helping the Chicago Cubs pull out the victory at Wrigley Field. I might be up there way too early, but is this the year the Brewers implode and start rebuilding? I mean, look at their lineup. I don't really... Yelich hasn't been been good since his MVP year. You know, they traded away Colin Wong. They got Jesse Winker, but he also signed this massive deal. Didn't really. Uh, All for four yesterday, so. <laughs> he didn't really do. He hasn't really done a whole lot when he went to Seattle after that trade. I don't, I don't really see the Brewers lineup, you know, being able to do much for him. They're going to have to get carried by their pitching, and I don't, and, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to keep improving where Corbin Burns has been at. You know, Cy Young two years ago. Obviously, didn't win the Cy Young last year, so I guess you can consider that somewhat of like a a regress. I mean, if you will. I mean, look at the season Sandy Alcantara had, though. You can't really call it a regression, but Sandy Alcantara just had that much better of a season. And then you're gonna look at the rest of the rotation: Woodruff, Peralta. You know, they're back in with um, Devin Williams, but I can't see the Brewers' rotation carrying them to win 90 games and win that division. I mean, the Cardinals team is really, really well-rounded squad. I don't think the Brewers are gonna. I, I truthfully don't. I truthfully don't, don't know who will come in second, but I don't think it's gonna be the Brewers. Yeah, I think I could see. I could see the Cubs maybe coming in second if you know all, all their cards end up playing right. I don't really think their roster is that great, but they do have some guys that could propel them to win games like that. I don't know with with the Brewers. I think looking at it, I think this is the year that you pull the plug. You have a few prospects that are maybe a year or two from kind of making their rise into the majors you have like you said a very good rotation that are all i believe nearing the end of their contracts yelich could be a decent trade piece willie adamas could be a decent trade piece i think this is a year that they kind of just blow it up and get a uh, get just look for prospects and try to work towards the next generation they have guys like bryce Turang who's up right now and um Garrett Mitchell, who's a center fielder that's running AAA right now, who's absolutely electric with a uh, five-tool guy. So I think this might be about the time – or actually Garrett Mitchell that started yesterday, my bad. I missed that. But he'll be – I don't. I believe he'll be an up-and-down player this year unless they really need it. But I think it's time for the Brewers to call it. They had a little bit of their run. It never really came to fruition. A lot of, a lot of chokes in the playoffs and late season, so – like Jack said, I don't think pitching is going to be able to carry them that far once again. And one of the thing is, is Corbin Burns is not happy with this deal right now. I believe he's a free agent. I don't know if it's this offseason or the next, but it's this upcoming offseason. Yeah, yeah, he's been negotiating stuff, and they haven't given him what he wanted. And why wouldn't you try to keep him? Because that he's really – you let go of your best player like that, I don't see this roster. I, I see a significant drop-off. Woodruff's probably one of the best number two stars in the league, but 
I'm not sure if he can be your your number one guy going, you know, leading your entire staff. And, you know, when you if you get to the playoffs, he's going to be the guy you're going to have to rely on. Mm-hmm. Every team that's won a World Series has had a pitcher they're going to rely on. I think we're nearing that time, too. I mean, you heard some speculation about it around the deadline last year. Oh, are we going to get a Corbin Burns year-and-a-half rental at this deadline because the Brewers weren't? The Brewers decided to reload a little bit, made a couple of trades, not really big, and they went for it, and they, and like you said, didn't end up getting that division. So I think after failing at it last year, this is the year they kind of just give away. You're going to see around All-Star break at a Corbin Burns rental for a team that's probably going to carry them pretty far in the playoffs. I mean, whatever team ad, whatever team that's looking to be a playoff contender adds a pitcher like Corbin Burns, I think that gives them a serious edge, so definitely a lot of guys that are in the last year of their contracts that are going to be very interesting to watch as trades as transactions go on and as the deadline approaches later on in the season it's going to be a pretty exciting year because there's a lot of big names out there that are definitely going to be put up for rentals for big playoff runs so i think not to get off topic but i think that's the most unique part really more about the nba i mean the nba the mlb excuse me you know there's a lot more rentals in the mlb we we do see that and it's interesting to see, you know, where teams head in the directions because, you know, it's really, it's really, it's definitive on what most teams will end up doing. But obviously, there's a few wild cards in there. But I don't know. I don't really see the Brewers doing a whole lot. Heading down to Texas, the Rangers took on the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, the Rangers put up the most runs on the day for opening day with an 11-7 to victory over Philadelphia. Jacob deGrom started the game for the Texas Rangers as he went three and two-thirds innings, allowing five runs, striking out seven Phillies, and giving up six hits. Uh, on the other side, Aaron Nola started the game for the Phillies and went the same distance, allowing five runs, giving up four hits, striking out four Rangers, and allowing two walks and a home run against the Rangers. A guy that we watched all World Baseball Classic tear it up during the World Baseball Classic, Mr. President of the United States, <laughs> Trey Turner, went one for four on the day. He had a walk. He struck out once. He had a hit and a run scored for the Phillies on the day but uh the leader for the Texas Rangers was Marcus no rather Jonah Heim their catcher went two for four on the day driving in two runs and scoring two runs himself assisting in the Rangers victory do we believe in the Rangers little experiment little project they have going on here what do we think I like the idea of it, but I don't see how far this can go. Giving DeGrom all that money, I mean, he's 35 years old, 34 years old. Which I didn't even realize he was that old, if I'm being completely honest. I thought so, he was I mean, younger. I did, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw, and he's like mid to late 30s. Uh, I think he's about mid-30s right now, which, say what you want. I mean, Verlander's almost 40, and he's still dealing at a high level, even though he just got on the injured list. But, you know, when the Cy Young is a 39-year-old, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if the Rangers made the right moves. I mean, I think, I think, their plan is a good plan. I mean, they're a big market. They got to go out and make some get some guys. They signed Simeon off of you know a breakout year, and you know you try to sit there and hope that that ends up turning out well. Corey Seager 
DeGrom. But then I think there's a huge drop-off after that. It's really the quality. I mean, but, yeah, you're going to sign all these veteran guys. Yeah, like, I think there's a few holes in their their lineup as well. I mean, yeah, they put up 11 runs yesterday, but that's not sustainable with the roster they have, I don't believe. But that could be a team to go out and get, you know, some people at the deadline. I think they could be a pretty solid team. That's another team I think is going to end up fighting for a wild card spot towards the end of the year. Um, As you look at it, too, I mean, they have their their best class of prospects in a while coming up. They have guys like Josh Young and um, they have Josh Young. Adoles Garcia is firmly planted in the organization now. And... You, and uh, guys like Bubba Thompson as well, who are kind of little pinch run X Factor players off the bench, but they definitely improved this off season. They re-signed Martin Perez and added like Nathan Navaldi. Added Nathan Navaldi, which is a, is a very big move. John Gray kind of came into his own a little bit last year, so the rotation doesn't seem to be the problem that it has been in the past. And like Jack saying, if the second half of that lineup can get it together and be productive this is a team that solidly makes the wild card and if not it's a team that has 70 wins and there's not i don't really think there's going to be much of an in-between or no really no in-between for that i mean <laughs> it's they're gonna just gonna be, have to rely on some people that you wouldn't expect to do well Corey seager needs to stay healthy and Simi needs to stay healthy as well but like you said they need josh young to kind of explode in the bottom half of that lineup as a prospect and you just you can't rely on that as a team right now. The guy I think that will be a surprise for you this season for the Texas Rangers is first baseman Nathaniel Lau. He had a really good end Very of the year last year. last year. And I, I can get behind you saying that. Um, again, it's it's yeah. kind of hard. I mean, last season he bat 302 with 27 home runs, 76 RBIs, 850 OPS, and 593 at-bats very promising and it's something that he's shown he's only 27 it's something that he's shown he can keep up i know we say only 27 in baseball it's kind of weird saying that but it is true he's he's under 30 and he's a very solid talent uh, talent he had one hit and three at bats yesterday in rbi if some of these guys play to their potential i think the rangers are probably i'd say a divisional round team if they can really put it together you get the grom starting a wild card game they're a divisional round team, and if not, they miss the playoffs by a decent amount. It depends if Degrom stays healthy. Marcus Simeon's had injury history. Corey Seager's coming off of an injury, so we'll just see where this team goes. Before I get into the next game, we have breaking news out of San Francisco. The San Francisco Giants have signed two-time All-Star catcher Gary Sanchez to a minor league contract. Wow, it's a it's a solid deal i thought he just had the dominican team or something like that didn't he like a dominican league like a i don't know ago? if it was a dominican league or, or korean league. No, it was cuban i think it was like a cuban league or something yeah because i believe he's from the dr but i think it was with another uh country down there that you know in that area but it wasn't the dominican i believe it was like cuba or something like that or puerto rico maybe um but i mean the giants lineup can't really get worse than what it is right now why not try to get Gary Sanchez, just have him DH for you and again, he'll be in the minors for however long and they'll probably just end up bringing him up when they realize they can't score you know, more than two <laughs> runs a game really now going to the place of the Super Bowl champions this year Kansas City, the Royals hosted the Minnesota Twins on opening day 
where the Twins started newly acquired pitcher Pablo Lopez, where he went five and a third, allowing two hits, the only two hits for the Royals on the day, while striking out eight Royals and walking three as the Roy- uh, the Twins won two to nothing in Kansas City. I had another storyline of that game, though. I know they didn't play too well, but... Shout out to Salvador Perez being named the fourth captain in um, Kansas City Royals history. He's definitely a guy that deserves it. And seeing that locker room when he was announced captain before the start of the game, it was electric. And, I mean, good for him. Maybe all, I mean, 48 homers a couple years ago obviously didn't produce as much last season. But we'll see how it goes. The Twins, on the other hand, very decent lineup. I don't, don't Nothing crazy, nothing special. Uh, the back half of it kind of falls off a little bit, but... Correa and Buxton are a great one-two punch, the two and three. And I know that made not much sense, but <laughs> it's a great one-two punch to have in your lineup if both of them are healthy. And Martin Perez, or Martin Perez, sorry, Pablo Lopez, picking up right where he left off in Miami last year. Leading the day for the Twins was Trevor Larnark, going two for four, driving in one of the runs and assisting with the other RBI on the day while walking once in the Twins' victory. Now, speaking of the Miami Marlins, they hosted the New York Mets on opening day where they lost 5-3, to three, where uh, another old pitcher started an opening day game, one being 39-year-old Zach Granke for the Kansas City Royals, and the other one being Max Scherzer for the New York Mets. Mad Max. Mad Max went six innings, allowing four hits, Three earned runs, striking out six Marlins while allowing two walks on the day in the victory for the New York Mets. While the Mar- while the Marlins started Cy Young winner from last year, Sandy Alcantara, who went five and two-thirds, allowing three hits, three earned runs, striking out two Mets, and walking four on the day as uh, offensively, the day was led for the Mets by Starling Marte and Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil going two for four with one RBI and Starling Marte scoring one run and walking once, going two for four on the day for the New York Mets. Bit of a quiet pickup over the offseason as well for Luis, uh, for the Marlins' Luis Arias. It wasn't. It was talked about for a couple weeks, but it wasn't really a big thing. But, I mean, he was he was an AL leader in average last year. Very solid hitter. They put him in the leadoff spot, as they should. Their lineup is looking decent. If some guys can step up, the back half of it is very under par over the last couple of seasons. But the top half with Arias, Segura, Garrett Cooper, Jazz Chisholm, and Jorge Soler, definitely a solid bunch. I don't think they're a wild card team at all, but solid bunch. As for the Mets, they want to run it back. And it's it's tough. The World Baseball Classic injury to Edwin Diaz definitely sets them back a little bit. But you really can't argue with Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer as your one and two coming out of the rotation, as well as a very, very solid lineup over there in New York on the other side of New York. In Cincinnati, the Pittsburgh Pirates beat the Cincinnati Reds by a score of 5-4. to four. Starting the day for the Pittsburgh Pirates was Mitch Keller, 
who went four and two-thirds innings, allowing six hits, four earned runs, striking out eight reds while walking four on the day, going up against one of the best promising young pitchers in all of the game of baseball, Hunter Green, who went three and a third, allowing five hits, three earned runs, striking out eight pirates. I believe he threw allowing three. I walks. believe he threw twenty five pitches over hundred miles an hour in the first three innings. That would be correct. Yeah, the, the his highest reaching, I think one hundred three point one hundred five point two, was a fun, silly, uh, really a very interesting fact. Andrew McCutcheon has seen the two fastest pitches in MLB history since Statcast has been a thing. He's seen on this incident when. Um, Araldis Chapman was on the It's funny, too, because they've both been against the Reds. But Araldis Chapman on the Reds with an 105.2-mile-an-hour pitch, I think, back in 2016. and Or not, uh, maybe maybe 2016, maybe a little bit earlier than that. And just yesterday, Andrew McCutcheon was the one to receive the 105.2-mile-an-hour pitch from Hunter Green. I think it's pretty funny you have a guy that's witnessed. I mean, can you imagine being in that box, watching a baseball come at you at 105 miles an hour? I'd be freaking out. <laughs> And just having to stand there, and he didn't even think about swinging at that pitch. I'd, it was out of the zone, low and away, but just a pitch that fast. I'd bunt, and I'd probably hit a home run. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, other than that, O'Neill Cruz, I don't know if either of you saw it, but O'Neill Cruz took a high 101.5-mile-an-hour fast Cruz missile to deep right center. That was, uh, was what a shot by him. He is ridiculous, and I think if he improves his contact against lefty pitchers so he can kind of get that lefty-lefty that pop, because he has it. We know he has pop as long as he can get the bat on the ball. I think he's a promising young prospect, too, and I hate to be that guy, but I think he gets traded within a couple of years. I don't think the Pirates are going to be able to retain him. His contract's going to run. His contract's going to run out eventually, or he's going to enter a contract dispute, and the Pirates are not going to be able to pay him because he's going to be a superstar. As Spencer mentioned, O'Neill Cruz went one for two on the day, being responsible for four of the five Pirates runs on the day while walking twice in the victory for the Pirates. In Houston, the Chicago White Sox beat the Houston Astros by a score of three to two. Starting the day for the White Sox was their ace, Dylan Cease, going six and a third, allowing two hits on a stacked Astros lineup, uh, while allowing one earned run and striking out ten Astros on the day. Our defending AL Cy Young has come back to play some more, which is very interesting because he was a guy that came out of the woodworks last year. He was an extreme dark horse. No one expected him to win a Cy Young, and... He just came out and shut a World Series lineup, obviously missing Jose Altuve, but shut a World Series lineup down for <laughs> how many innings was it again? I mean, six, six and a third. Six and a third and ten strikeouts is elite against that Astros lineup, especially as a righty pitcher having to face Jordan Alvarez, who I believe he struck, I believe he struck Jordan out twice. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, two times. Yeah, he struck Jordan Alvarez out twice, who was no doubt probably the best hitter in baseball at the end of the playoffs last year. 11 hits for the White Sox compared to four for the Astros. Almost every player on the White Sox lineup had a hit except for Eloy Jimenez. That is. What a great day for the Chicago White Sox in Houston. I'm going to be that guy again. The White Sox seem to do this every year, don't they? At least the last few years. They start out strong. They come and out then extremely fall hot, and then 
guys get into slumps and it just kind of goes downhill and I mean, they have a decent lineup again, but they also lost Jose Abreu, who was on the other side of that matchup. It's but it, it's hard to get excited about a team who's consistently just lowered their expectations year in year out. In San Diego, the Rockies beat the Padres seven to two behind a strong performance from German Marquez. Marquez, I probably butchered his name. You good, German Marquez. You got yeah. it. It's a tough one. He went six innings, uh, allowing five hits, two earned runs, five strikeouts. But the biggest news on the day, Xander Bogarts. Three for four on the day, scoring one of the Padres' two runs on the day in the loss to Colorado. Good. Man. Go ahead, say It's it. one game. <laughs> it's one game. But. Disgrace. In Colorado? A team that's the World Series favorite. It was in San Diego. There was in San Diego. Okay, my fault. I'm looking at it uh, on the thing. They have the team first. But still, the World Series favorite against Colorado. Herman Marquez is a solid pitcher. But the World Series favorite, yes. Yes, uh, Tatis does not come back until late April. But this is their lineup. Barring Tatis, this is their lineup for the rest of the season. And a lot of bad swings yesterday. I watched a little bit of that game. A lot of bad swings yesterday. Juan Soto, 0 for 4, which is very, it's not very characteristic of him. He left three men on base. He's supposed to be a clutch hitter that doesn't strike out. He he only struck out once. He's supposed to be a clutch hitter that gets on base. 0 for 4 to start off. And he didn't have a great spring training either. Great uh, World Baseball Classic, he was underwhelming. And do you think maybe the pressure is getting to him? All this talk about being the next generational talent of the MLB and had a couple bad had a couple bad months last year and do we think it's getting to him? Is there regression happening or is it just a bit of a long slump? I mean, great hitters always figure it out for the most part. I'd probably say there's one out of every hundred that's a, that was considered a great hitter at one point that just falls off face of the earth and doesn't figure it back out. I. It's really hard to see Juan Soto not figuring out his swing. I agree. Slumping for this long, but it's if that ends up becoming a reality, then it's gonna be a tough pill to swallow for Padres fans because they gave up. I mean, they gave up a bunch of prospects, but you know they don't really. It's whatever. I mean, I guess and Nationals kind of would look a little bit smart if that's what ends up happening. But again, the chances of that happening are extremely unlikely, especially for someone as talented as him. Um, Even if you do look back on this trade in five, ten years and say, oh, well, they got more production out of those two guys, it's still not a smart move looking at where where Soto came from. And I agree with you. I think he'll figure it out. But the one question is, will he reach the heights that he reached in Washington again? And he's in a different ballpark, uh, lower altitude as well. Definitely a much more – it's a more difficult ballpark for lefties. And, I mean – is it an environment thing? Is it just him kind of settling into the new team because he only had half a season with them last year? I think we'll see, and I think he will figure it out. But this is a Padres team that's, that is that is very promising. Manny Machado is going to be up there. He's always one of the best hitters in the league. You're going to have uh, Xander Bogarts, who I think was batting 340 for the majority of the season last year. And then 
a couple additions in, I mean, Jake Cronenworth, who's a two-time All-Star, and then a couple additions in Matt Carpenter over there. We'll see. I'm very excited to see where the Padres go, though. Their rotation is solid, as always. You Darvish and um, Joe Musgrove. So we will see. One thing about that rotation is I'm really upset that Snell hasn't returned to the form he was at. I mean, they got him over there. I don't remember if it was signing or trade. I don't remember exactly what. I believe it was a signing. They got They bring him over there, and he just seemingly just he's just struggling. It's really what it is. I mean, he battled injuries last year. Yeah, came back, and he's just still struggled. I don't. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know how he'll be able to figure it out, or if he will figure it out. But that's that's another guy that they're gonna need to do well. And yesterday, he um, didn't really do that well. Rockies are a really good team against lefties. So, matchup wise, it doesn't really look good in their favor. But again, it's. I hope Blake Snell figures it out because, um, yeah, ever since he got pulled in that World Series game against the Dodgers, that was um, kind of felt for the guy. You know, he was absolutely dealing, gets taken out as as we all know in the fifth inning. Pitch count was normal. You know, and he had gotten Mookie Betts. He struck out Mookie Betts twice, I believe, before that. He, Mookie comes up next part of the order, and Kevin Cash brings him out. I'm not sure why. None of us know why. To this day, nobody but, but no one Kevin Cash knows why. It's, <laughs> I, I do feel for the guy. He's one of those guys It's like, well, like, damn, like, that, that's an awful feeling. You know what I mean? That can do a lot to a guy, too. I mean, exactly. anyone that's played a sport before, you're in that big of a moment, and you feel like someone doesn't have the trust in you to play your game I mean that can affect you for a long time and I hope that's not what it is with him I hope it's just injuries and kind yeah, of yeah I mean back off of it most major league players are you know mentally strong enough we know how mental baseball is most of us here play it I believe so it's baseball is all mental sport and I believe that if you're in the majors you gotta be you know tough mentally and I don't yeah I understand it's probably most likely not why he's struggling if that is mm-hmm. then that's extremely unfortunate but again it's I hope the guy ends up succeeding, really, towards the end of the year and finding his groove again to who he was. I think it'll benefit him as well. He's playing in a in a pitcher's ballpark down there in San Diego, so it 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 looks. I mean, a big, a very promising part is nine strikeouts in four point one, four and a third. Like that, nine strikeouts in four third is solid. It's a pretty good day if you don't account for the six hits and three earned runs. So, I mean, that side of him is obviously still there. He still has his strikeout capability. He still has the ability to be that guy that can sit you down with three different pitches. So, I, I think we'll see where it goes. And also, I mean, with that bullpen, we need to see if it holds up. We saw Josh Hader at the, I mean, in the playoffs, he was amazing. But in the second half of that season, after his trade for Milwaukee, he struggled a lot there. Right day. It was like two completely different players from Milwaukee. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how it goes, but on to the next game. Yeah, people people on paper. One last thing, they just see the Padres. You know, they 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 have big expectations, but maybe it's one of those teams. You know, we all know the best team doesn't win technically on paper, but I, I would consider them probably the, the best roster in the league exactly. right now. The Dodgers, would I would be, say, would be three peat champions the last couple of years if that exactly. was the case. Exactly, and the Astros would you know win probably a little bit more too as well. So, speaking of the Dodgers. They won 8-2 to two over the Arizona Diamondbacks in L.A. as Julio Urias started the game for the Dodgers, went six innings, allowing four hits, two earned runs, and striking out six Diamondbacks on the day. Diamondbacks now, are a young, promising team for sure, too, I believe. 
mean, I, I, I love people who are fast around the diamond, so I'm, I'm a big Corbin Carroll guy. You see him hit the ball in a gap, and you see him get the third and, you know, a snap of a finger. I, I, I love that in baseball, and I hope, you know, defensively he can be like that too, you know. Use his speed, get into gaps, you know, make some good catches and stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm all in on the Diamondbacks, honestly. You know, they signed Lourdes Gurriel. It's a pretty solid slugger they got there, too. Traded for Gabriel Moreno over the offseason as yeah, well. Yeah, and that was... trade. I think that's a, I think that's a win for them. Varsho sure. overplayed for who I think he is. I mean, if he keeps that way, then that's just that 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 is who he is. He had a good year. They got Moreno, you know, Gallon, Merrill Kelly, a couple of good guys in rotation. Um, Jake McCarthy's another guy too. Him and Corbin Carroll might steal thirty-five bags a year <laughs> both, between both of them, which is an extreme advantage you're going to have, especially if seeing you can get him on base. Seeing the stolen stolen base environment go up. I mean, this is uh, I believe the most stolen bases on opening day in the last twenty years. Yesterday, there were. Uh, think 22 i believe the number was 22 stolen bases on opening day which is great to see with the new rules bigger bags and the pitch clock i mean you can't have guys just standing there staring down batters anymore waiting to pick them off they got to go pitch they got to worry about pitching so that's going to make runners a little bit more uh, a little bit more excited to just steal they're going to be ready and go as soon as that pitcher gets on the mound i think i think we're going to see like you said guys like mccarthy and Corbin Carroll, and then on the other side, guys like Acuna, Volpe, stuff like that. They're aggressive guys, and they want to steal bags, and I think their teams are going to give them the green light this year with the new rules. And I think we're going to see a couple of 30 base stealers, a couple of guys that steal 30 bags this year, which is going to be really good to see, like more than we've seen in the last few years for sure. Notice how there was no Red Sox in that uh, comment because everybody on the Red Sox is slow. <laughs> they just, that's also another thing they don't really want to um, – they don't want to. They don't have guys that steal no more. It's yeah. It was Ellsbury. That was our. I think that was our last real like legitimate ste- bag stealer. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I mean, he would get on base. He would steal. Pedroia bring him in off the ball. So that's you know that's how they rolled. So it's like, it's unfortunate that that's the way the Red Sox have shifted. Not to get, obviously not to get off topic, but it's you got you brought that to my attention. I didn't I didn't even think about that at all. Honestly, thing. that nobody on the Red Sox steals bags. Same thing for the Yankees as well. Except we're just getting over that hump. I mean, we last couple of years we've pedaled. all you need is one. Yeah, if Volpe now we can have that guy, Volpe and Oswaldo Cabrera need. as well. And I mean, that, like you said, that's all we need. <laughs> all right, we are back with the Boys and Boys podcast. Spencer had to step out. Uh, he has practice for track, but we are back on schedule with Austin Jack and myself. Going up to Seattle, probably the most exciting game of the day. We had a duel between Shane Bieber and Luis Castillo of the Guardians and the Mariners. Luis Castillo went six innings, allowing one hit and striking out six Guardians, while on the other side, Shane Bieber went six innings, allowing six hits, and striking out three. Notice how I said neither of those guys allowed any runs. Well, going into the bottom of the eighth inning, it was a 0-0 tie between the Mariners and the Guardians. Coming up to the plate with two runners on is first baseman Ty France. France sends one out of the park with Seattle being electric. A three-run home run to put the Mariners up on opening day over the Guardians 3-0. That's where we stayed. The the Seattle Mariners beat the Cleveland Guardians by a score of 3-0 behind Ty Francis' heroics in the eighth inning. 
as Seattle moves to one and zero on the season. Seattle gets electric, man. That I mean, Dude. you saw in the playoff run last year with the Astros. They, yeah, that place gets jumping when something happens. I'm, I'm glad baseball's back in Seattle. Really, I mean, they've been kind of a, a mediocre. Yeah, they just kind of sat in the middle of the MLB, you know, doing nothing. But I'm, they, they have a good squad. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what they're gonna do. I mean, that that could, that's another team that could that people are expecting to, to um, make the playoffs and maybe make a run at the World Series. So that's it's another another team like the Padres that they they got they did get better in the off season. They're gonna expect them to make the playoffs and compete at a high level. Looking at the starting rotation for the Seattle Mariners, you have five solid starters. Going down the rotation, you have Luis Castillo at, as the number one starter with Logan Gilbert as the two. Robbie Ray as the three. Robbie Ray, the Cy Young winner, Robbie Ray, as your third pitcher in your rotation. And then one of the candidates for Rookie of the Year last year, George Kirby, as your fourth pitcher, with Marco Gonzalez rounding out the rotation. That is a very good rotation that Seattle has going. They have a very good team, and I would not be surprised if with all the injuries to the Astros right now, in particular Jose Altuve, if the Mariners and the Astros are fighting neck and neck when it comes September. It'll definitely be a dogfight. Adding Teoscar Hernandez is also a big piece for them in the outfield as well. Mm-hmm. We've seen a few few outfield prospects not really work out for him. I mean, J-Rod's one. That did work out. But you guys, Taylor Trammell, got him in a trade with San Diego a few years ago. Kyle Lewis, Kyle Lewis, who left, I believe he's in the Diamondbacks now. He's not there. Yeah. Jared Kelnick has struggled, and he's been the one that they've they've held on to. I mean, Trammell, I believe Trammell is still, I think he goes up and down between AAA and the majors. But, you know, they're, they got the stability now in the outfield with J-Rod, who's arguably a top five player overall now after one year. Honestly, I mean, and Teoscar Hernandez is also a solid veteran they get, so I... I think overall, the Seattle is a really, really well, well-rounded roster. I can't really find a hole in their, on their team, to be honest. But I think they'll still find a way to improve the deadline and and then go, you know, go forward and compete for the World Series title. Last game of the day was Shohei Otani taking on the bottom of the barrel team in the Oakland Athletics. But the Athletics pulling out a 2-1 to victory over the Angels in Oakland as Aaron Loop got the loss for the Angels, giving up two runs in the bottom of the eighth inning as the Angels waste yet another fantastic outing by Shohei Otani. Moving on to our next segment of the day is NFL free agency. We are at that time again, and the Patriots are doing exactly what we would think that the Patriots are doing at this time. Going off of the transactions for the Patriots, they have re-signed cornerback Miles Bryant, signed wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster to a three-year, $25.5 million deal, signed tackle Riley Reef to a a one-year, $5 million contract, re-signed defensive tackle Carl Davis to a one-year deal, re-signed linebacker Mac Wilson to a one-year, $1.6 million contract, 
The one that I'm the most excited for, and this is going to sound a little bizarre, and I know if Spencer was still in the room, he'd completely agree with me. The Patriots have re-signed long snapper Joe Cardona to a four-year, $6.3 million contract. The reason I'm most excited about that is because I just love Joe Cardona and the attitude he brings every day and everything he does for the New England area. Uh, Lieutenant Cardona is a focal point and a role model for a lot of the young Patriots on the team and a lot of the uh, everyday fans in New England uh, serving part-time in the United States Navy as well as playing long snapper for the New England Patriots. Uh, I think one addition that you did not mention and I'm probably most excited for probably more than Joe Cardona and I can agree with you on the Joe Cardona is um, tight end Mike Gusecki that you did not mention, but I think he's going to be a, a big, um, big addition to this, to this uh, young offense that we're trying to build in in this off season. But I think uh, we had we had two good tight ends last year with Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, but I think that's a good piggyback off of Hunter Henry of giving um, giving Hunter Henry a Mike Gusecki to have kind of a backup or a starting position over Hunter Henry because both of those tight end positions last year were kind of quiet but I think adding Mike Kiseki to this offense would kind of improve the tight end spot more than Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Looking at the trade market uh, in NFL free agency it all kicked off with the New Orleans Saints acquiring a 2024 second round pick and pick number 30 from the Denver Broncos for Sean Payton, their now Denver Broncos head coach, and a 2024 third-round pick. The Baltimore Ravens acquired a 2024 seventh-round pick in exchange with the New York Jets for safety Chuck Clark. One of the leaders of the Baltimore Ravens secondary the last couple of years is now with the Jets. And probably... The biggest, if not one of the biggest trades this offseason so far. The Chicago Bears trade the number one overall pick in the draft to the Carolina Panthers for star wide receiver DJ Moore, a 2024 first round pick, a 2025 second round pick, the ninth overall pick, and the 64th overall, rather 61st overall pick in the draft. How do we feel about the Carolina Panthers acquiring the number one pick? I think the Panthers right now have been killing it in free agency. I think they've picked up a lot of great guys. I think you just go down the list of whoever the Panthers picked up recently, but um, I think it's been probably my one of my big underrated takes on this free agency is the Panthers picking up a lot of high-caliber players. I don't know many off the top of my head, but just seeing off paper, I've seen a lot of Additions going straight to the Panthers. Those players you're talking about is wide receiver DJ Chark, uh, wide receiver Adam Thielen, tight end Hayden Hurst, running back Miles Sanders, strong safety Von Bell, uh, center Bradley Bozeman, and that is it. I think that's just building a sort of veteran yet outstanding player caliber group of guys to play football all to mesh with a quarterback like cj stroud or a 
Anthony Richardson based on the number one pick, but I believe that C.J. Stroud is best for this Panthers team, and that's kind of my second favorite team behind the Patriots because I have family down in South Carolina that have been around the stadium, so I think that I believe that the Panthers have a good shot this year at, I would say, maybe a wild card spot or even a, a sleeper first round. Another big trade, the L.A. Rams traded star cornerback Jalen Ramsey to the Miami Dolphins for tight end Hunter Long in a 2023 third-round pick, the number 77th overall pick. The New England Patriots traded tight end Jonu Smith to the Atlanta Falcons in exchange for pick 245. The Dallas Cowboys acquired Stephon Gilmore in exchange for pick 179 with the Indianapolis Colts. One of the surprising trades for me is the Houston Texans acquiring guard Shaq Mason and a, and a seventh-round pick, pick 230 in this year's draft in exchange for pick 179 in the 2023 draft. The Las Vegas Raiders traded tight end Darren Waller to the New York Giants in exchange for pick 100 in the draft. The Dallas Cowboys continue to add on to their team as they traded for wide receiver Brandon Cooks from the Houston Texans for the 2024 sixth-round pick and a 2023 fifth-round pick, which is pick 161. And lastly, the Cleveland Browns acquired wide receiver Elijah Moore and pick 74 from the New York Jets for the 42nd pick in the NFL draft. I think what blows my mind right now about free agency is the Rams are giving up so many of these huge names and I would say three focal points of the defense of the Ramsey, Wagner, and Floyd subtractions, and they haven't picked up anybody. So I think that it's going to be huge holes to fill. Uh, I think they're trying to build up their offensive line again. Uh, they need to fill those those three levels on the secondary as well as the entire defense. But I think the Rams are kind of in quiet right now, but they've been more subtracting than adding on their, their team, which they need badly. I think the Cowboys did a really good job acquiring those two veteran guys. I mean, yeah. we, need, we needed to see a guy that could produce next to C.D. Lamb, and Gallup's not bad, but, you know, he's injury-riddled. Not he's not really a true number two guy. I, I'm I'm a fan of the Brandon Cooks trade, and again, you need to upgrade that defense. Get a former defensive player of the year, Gilmore. I think those are two fantastic trades for the Cowboys. I mean, they didn't really lose anyone. The only guy they really lost was Zeke, and they they cut him at, at their own will. So I think the Cowboys did a really really good job, you know, working the the trade market this year, and um, I think they could. I mean, it's kind of a Stereotype to say that Cowboys are going to just do well, choke in the playoffs, happens every year, but that's the NFC is weak right now. If Dak can perform to what Dak should be, I don't I don't see a reason why they won't be able to contend. You know, that NFC has San Fran in, in Philadelphia, really. It's the only teams I see in front of them. Detroit. I wouldn't see Detroit over them right now. Yeah. I think Detroit needs a little bit more experience, in my opinion. I think Detroit would be a solid team, but I think they need they definitely need more experience. I don't schematic like Dan Dan Campbell's a good head coach, good good player head coach. I think his coordinators are the guys that are really winning them games. I mean, we saw after one one 
solid season, their OC was already getting offers to go leave. The defensive coordinator was also getting looked at as possible as possible head coach candidates, not as much as Ben Johnson, of course, but they did make some good signings. I, I don't think the Lions will C.J. Gardner and Johnson as one. I don't think they're going to compete this year, the Lions. I think they'll do well. I, don't, I think they'll win the division. I don't think they can compete, though. I think playoff time, I think I see them more of like a, a near giant situation of last year. Good regular season, couple close wins. I don't really see them doing much in the playoffs. Is just my opinion, though. But they do have a good team. I think they're in the they're training in the right direction for sure. I think that a big question mark free agency wise that haven't been uh, picked up, but I think it's a, probably one of the biggest topics right now is kind of a twofer is. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson conversation. Uh, I think that's a huge topic, and I, I know Aaron Rodgers is most likely. I'm not sure if it's confirmed yet, but most likely will go to the Jets. But I they think have we'll, a deal in the works, yeah. but it hasn't been agreed on for something between the compensation between that the Packers want, as well as Lamar Jackson trying to figure out a different home. And I know he had a. a news update about that and he said he requested a requested a trade after his franchise tag like a week later after his franchise tag so he's trying to look for a new home right now and i'm not entirely sure where the best fit would be for him i feel like a a falcons place would be better or a titans or not really sure because i feel like there's there's places where he could potentially go or he could completely start over and go to a texans place but I don't really know where to place Lamar Jackson else other than the, the Ravens. I think the unfortunate part, a couple of things. The first thing, I'm, I will not understand why the Ravens won't pay him. Um, they've completely built their team around Lamar Jackson. Studs on defense, the Mark Andrews, a power running scheme, great O line. You know they've had they've had you know a revolving door in their running back room, but. How much does that matter? I mean, you got a QB rushing for a thousand yards. You don't really need a running back to run for, you know, a thousand either. I I don't know. I don't see how Lamar got hurt. He was out for six weeks, I believe. Five in the last, five last weeks in the regular season and the first wild card weekend in the playoffs, they did atrocious with Tyler Huntley at quarterback. I think not having Lamar, I think that kind of shows who the Ravens truly are without him. I mean, they did nothing at all without Lamar. Only threw for two touchdowns, three picks in a six-week span of him starting. I I will not fathom how they haven't paid him. I understand he wants the guaranteed money. But if you're going to go look around and say, Daniel Jones got $40 million a year, like, are you kidding me? They won't. How can you not even pay Lamar Jackson that? If you pay Lamar $40 million before Daniel Jones gets that deal, Daniel Jones doesn't get $40 million. Lamar Jackson is a is worth more than Daniel Jones. That is a 100% fact. Lamar won an MVP second year in the league. You know, and he's... Say whatever you want about his injuries. That's... Every quarterback gets hurt. Right. Dak Prescott's gotten hurt the past... Two of the past three years. And multiple quarterbacks get hurt. Kyle Murray tore his knee. People get hurt. That's, that's, that's a part of the game. Not paying a guy who won an MVP, has brought you the playoffs every single year that he's been your starting quarterback, 
a team you've built, you've completely shaped your team around him. Their entire offensive scheme is built around Lamar Jackson, which again also hurts Lamar because you can't just ship him off. You can't ship him off to New England. You can't ship him off to Atlanta. You can't ship him off any other team that's been rumored to get Lamar because then you're going to have to kind of adjust to who Lamar is right. in his game. We saw Brian Dable come over, kind of shift to Daniel Jones's game. Short intermediate passes, let Daniel Jones run a little bit. Shift to Jalen Hurts' game, power running scheme, let Jalen Hurts throw the ball down the field a little bit. They adjust to the the players that you have. And it's, it's harder to shift your offensive scheme to a guy like Lamar Jackson than it is to any, I would say mostly most other quarterbacks in the NFL. Simply because of the way he plays. He's, he, Lamar Jackson will beat you to the outside, but he can also follow a pull and guard up the B-gap and, and take it downhill as well. Lamar can do everything, but that's also it's something you have to plan for. You, you can't just throw together a power-running offense with Lamar as your quarterback with all these read options, you know, speed options, these veers. You can't do all that Dude. in now. Like, if, he, if Lamar was going to get dealt, it would have happened, I would say, at least a month ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe before then. It's, it, it's just hard. It's hard. It's it is hard, and I I understand why that people aren't going after Lamar. I understand people why aren't people aren't even bothering to go after Lamar. Like Belichick's not even bothering to go after Lamar, regardless if we have Mac Jones or not. Whatever, if people think Mac Jones is not good or whatever you think about him, that's why people aren't. They're not going after Lamar. It's not because he's not a good player. He's a top five, borderline top five quarterback in the league. I would say hundred percent top ten, yeah. former MVP, like I mentioned. It's hard. It, it is, but I don't understand why the Ravens won't pay him. I, I don't. The guaranteed money thing is, it's whatever. You're going to get all this money. You see people restructuring their contracts to signing bonuses. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Mahomes. My, uh, there's a ton of guys. Every year, you see it. Every year, they, they restructure their contracts to signing bonuses, which is guaranteed money. You, just, you sign the contract, you get the signing bonus, and there it is. I don't know. I don't get it. In my, I, I, I don't. And if you want to give him this guaranteed money for year one, then maybe restructure to a signing bonus. It's the same thing to him. He's still going to get that money. It's just transferred from a hit against a salary cap to a signing bonus. Mm-hmm. That's all it does. It just frees up the money that Lamar was going to get on his contract to a signing bonus so it doesn't hit the cap. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand why they're not on the same page. I just, I don't know. I, it, kind of, it does frustrate me because of how good the Ravens Ravens are, and how good they could be. But if they're just gonna, if they're willing to not negotiate, not give Lamar their money, he's basically their franchise at this point. Then so be it. Let them fall down, fall on this hold, and they're gonna have to dig themselves out of by getting rid of players and restructuring their their entire team the way it looks. That's what I was saying. The realistically only place that I see Lamar going is the Falcons, because. I would say a similarity of Lamar would be Mariota because just the way his play style is not exactly but a a similar aspect of Lamar's game is I know Mariota was the the, kind of the original like run style of the veer run like Lamar but I think that Michael Vick well obviously like before Michael Vick I'm just saying like for the Atlanta Falcons they've shaped him for a year of the veer and stuff like that. I know, obviously, Michael Vick has done that. But I'm saying currently, like, probably the close second to Lamar is 
I'd say Mariota. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. It's a little different style, though. Hurts, That's what I'm saying. Uh, Hurts, Hurts, Hurts can Hurts. throw it down the field. Lamar necessarily yeah, they, can't. They do. They do everything over in Philadelphia. It doesn't matter. They just throw everything, whatever they want at you, and yeah. it, it ends up working. Helps when your quarterback benches, uh, not benches, squats 400 pounds. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But I think I think that's just going to be a question mark, and we'll just have to wait and see. And come season in the fall, we're just going to have to figure it out. I mean, Desmond Ritter is announced the starter in Atlanta come mm-hmm. day one, so yeah. that'll be interesting to see across the NFC South. Uh, who knows what Carolina is going to do with the number one pick? Whether they go Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud at a later episode, we'll be doing our draft predictions. Yep. Uh, Derek Carr is the New Orleans Saints quarterback, and Baker Mayfield is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback at the moment. Jimmy Garoppolo to Oakland, and there's a lot of other, a lot of other QB trades, a lot of other ridiculous trades that we're just gonna have to wait and see. And we'll break it down when our uh, NFL draft special comes out yep. in about a week or two. When is the draft? Is it like late April? Uh, in about twenty days. Oh, okay, so late April. All right, I think that will conclude our episode here of the Bison Boys podcast. Thank you all for listening. Uh, tune in either next week or the week after that when we do our special, and we will see you guys soon. Thank you.